All right, everybody, welcome back to another post-game edition of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and I'm here with NY Hoya and Nationwide Nolan. Guys, we just watched Georgetown in the return of a rare Big East regular season back-to-back drop a 94-83 decision to St. John's up in Carneseca Arena. Javon Blair had 25. Donald Carey had 19. Jamarco Pickett struggled mightily. In a reverse from the first game, the Johnnies went nuts from three-point range, 13 for 29. They did score 94 points in both games. St. John's now gets their first Big East win. They are 1-3. The Hoyas dropped to 1-2 in the league, obviously a season split. And why? First impressions. At least our defensive rebounding wasn't the problem this time. Okay, okay. (laughs) I don't know. I think a week ago, if it felt like a Kenner League game this one sort of had the same feel let's call it like a little tbt the basketball tournament it just just very little half court offense on both ends it it wasn't all that enjoyable to watch it was just a lot of run and gun and hope the ball goes in st john shot the ball incredibly well in the first half i i didn't i didn't think our defense was was that poor i thought they hit just a ton of shots but at the end of the day they hit 10 threes in the half they put up was it 50 in the first half? It's 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 the same thing every year for um, in the last in the last few years. Ultimately, our perimeter defense has been weak and just too many turnovers. So I think those are the two things that jumped out at me. Nolan. Yeah, I it was an enjoyable watch for me. I mean, like I or why I said, I mean, it's it's a pickup game. It's counter league, and I think you probably were in a tough spot coming into this just because they lost at Georgetown in overtime. They were obviously going to be motivated. You had to match their energy, which I don't think Georgetown was lifeless, but I think St. John's played a little bit harder. And that was notable on the defensive end for Georgetown, especially. I mean, we keep saying it all off season. It's the defense that needs to get fixed if this thing is ever going to get off the ground. And when you go in there, give up 94 points, and I think you're going to run with St. John's, but to just let them dictate the tempo um, in the way that you know Mike Anderson wants. I mean, he's okay giving up 83 points if he can get the tempo, you know, to his liking, which they've done both times. And defensively, you have to figure out what you're what you're okay giving up and what is non-negotiable. And right now, you give up stuff at the rim, you give up three-point attempts. It just seems like it's just there's leaks everywhere you know you can say st john's a good shooting team you might get unlucky um on a certain night but you look at the guys who made those shots the three best shooters made 10 of their 13 threes so it's just again kind of lack of id personnel on the other side and just the defense falling apart again yeah so i asked ewing about that here's a quote from him i wanted to get an idea because St. John's, like I said, scored 94 in both games, but they took completely different paths to get there. Last game, they had 50 in the paint. You know, today they, they make they make 13 threes, 10 of them early. You know, he said, so they aren't a very good three-point shooting team. And if they can make 13 threes, it means you're not defending them very well at the three-point line. We need, need to do a better job. He said, I don't think today was one of our better games. I think we would probably all agree with that considering you guys both said it and I texted Nolan during the game. This isn't fun to watch. 
And, and, you know, so I asked him, like, did you want to get them out of the paint? Is that, was this plan? And he says, you know, the game evolved because they were hitting threes. We weren't guarding them well. That's basically it. So I do feel like the two things you could kind of get out of this year, feeling positive, were promise from the freshmen and the, the sophomores, Wahab particularly, and also getting a defensive identity. And I kind of get the sense... I asked him about the same question against Villanova. Like, did you want them shooting that many threes? And it's sort of like, you know, the way that Princeton was always, our plan is whatever you try and stop, we can exploit it a different way. And so they never imposed their will on someone. And defensively, Ewing's team seemed to be very like that. Well, if they want to do that, you know, we'll try and guard them better while they're doing that. Not say, hey, we're trying to force a team that can't shoot to shoot, or we're, we're trying to force a team that can shoot just to be inside the line. And I think that's probably the most disappointing thing so far. Yeah. Just, just to piggyback on that. I think, I think you're right. You know, coming into the season, we all knew this was going to be a challenge. And so trying to figure out how to define success for, for me, it's always been, can we get better on defense, especially perimeter defense, because those perimeter defensive numbers in the last three years have been, you know, we've, we've had, I think it's, we were in the bottom three of any power conference school. I think we averaged lowest of any power conference school in terms of our three-point defense. So we were consistently bad over the course of three years with very different types of players. And and the thing that really gets me is, remember, for years, people sort of used Jesse Govan as a scapegoat. He was too mm-hmm. slow. He was yeah. clogging the middle. His lateral quickness wasn't there. And then people had the same view about Yurt Seven, or said, you know, McClung, you know, just wasn't good enough. I, I, at the end of the day, like, we've, we have very different players now over the course of now this is the fourth season. If the defensive numbers are going to be this bad for year in and year out, you know, ultimately it's maybe it's not on the players. And, and that's, that's, a challenging thing. that's a challenging thing for me. And it's not just about how many points we're giving up, because keep in mind, we pay, we, we play yeah. a pretty, yeah, our, our pace is, you know, as much is quicker than it, you know, we're accustomed to seeing, but the combination of turnovers on offense and too many threes on defense, it just is not enjoyable brand of basketball to watch. And I, I just, I want to get that defense improved. I mean, the best way to shut, to shut off the press is to, is to prevent the other team from scoring. And we just, we could not do that all game. Nolan, Offensively, Donald Carey, you know, Georgetown was probably, I'd say, fortunate to only be down eight at the break. You sort of felt like they survived, you know, a possible disaster. It was 49-41. Carey hit three, late three. So he had nine points in the last two minutes. He ended the half with 14. He finishes with 19. Were you a little surprised offensively that they didn't try and, you know, feature him a little bit more? He only got a couple shots up. He made two shots in the second half. You know, he shot five for nine from deep. Was that a little surprising? And then also, it did seem like this was kind of a Dante Harris game that he's Biggie's freshman of the week. He had a great performance last week. You're probably going to get a bunch of these performances from, a, you know, an unheralded freshman. Yeah, and it's, I mean, like I said, St. John's, they're going to speed you up. And for him, his first road game, I mean, he's going to have some struggles. With Carey, it seems like he's kind of just, I don't want to say he's pigeonholed in the role, but it just seems like right now he's just a spot-up shooter and he'll get those shots playing off of other people. I wouldn't mind seeing him more involved offensively, get him a little bit more pick-and-roll, 
I certainly would prefer that to the the constant posting up a picket. I I mean, could you just put Carrie, you know, as the ball handler of pick and roll with Jamarco? It's it just feels like there should be a little bit more creative ways to use some of the personnel. I would kind of signal out Jamarco in that regard. I mean, Carrie played well, but you look at I mean, he only had one assist. So obviously he wasn't creating much for anybody else. I think he's just right now kind of living off those catch and shoot threes, which he's done at a nice level. I mean, five for nine tonight. I think on the season, what now he's up to over 43%. So I mean, yeah. he's a real asset offensively. And maybe it is time to see if he can just take on a little bit more responsibility. Were, were you guys a little bit surprised in a, first of all, Ewing seems to always want a center on the court, and that included even Wilson getting legitimate run in the first half. And then also, the game was obviously out of reach at that point, but we were seeing some just really different lineups. Do you think that was just trying to get a look during a game setting of what certain people might do? Or is there still, you know, obviously it's only game seven, there's no sense of what the, quote, second unit would be? I mean, I think he was just trying to get yeah. get guys some run. And but but I'm not sure there was any real plan. Like I, I don't I don't know why Blair and Pickett needed to be in the game in the final like four minutes. And of course that's when Pickett you know turned his ankle. I, like I, I just I didn't see the point in having them in the game. Uh, I also didn't see why we needed to foul basically every possession and and continue to play the same ragged free flowing style. I mean it was it was a good opportunity given the deficit to get a little action out of Sibley and Holloway and Wilson and, and Berger. So I, I was fine with that. Um, but I, I'm not really sure we, we saw a whole lot from those who played. I I would be interested to know why he went to Wilson so early, which I'm not upset with. I mean, give the kid a shot, but I've been a pretty harsh critic of, of big Tim, but I actually thought he looked pretty decent in his limited time. And then, they swapped in Wilson for him when they went to the bench afterwards. So I'd be interested to know about that. I, I probably would have liked to see maybe a little more Berger and Sibley with Belay. I mean, what you get out of him. I mean, that tonight was not a very good showing on his behalf. I think he was a minus 10 in 16 minutes. So I think you're getting to a point now, Sibley and Berger, maybe just give them a little bit more run. Berger was a minus 12 in eight minutes in St. John's. I think the book is out on Berger. He can shoot. So he didn't even get an attempt up. I, you know, I think that was obviously him and Harris were, you know, two of the biggest bright spots from, from the last game. Pickett now in his last two games is a combined five for 19. Ewing did say he's doing well on the boards, which is obviously true. He had 11 rebounds, six points, but Georgetown's not going to win many games when, when Pickett has two for 12, six points, it's just the shot attempts I thought was good. I, even though they won last game, you're not going to win many games when Pickett's basically a passenger offensively, but that doesn't mean he kind of shot some off the dribble, which I think we all agree is not really his strong suit. You want him just kind of catching and shooting as far as obviously game to game, things change so much with fan bases on Twitter and on message boards and everything like that. I think I asked you guys this last game, did the last, did your feelings change about the team after this game? I'll ask the same thing. I will also put this out there. I'm sure you guys are aware of it. In Big East regular season games, uh, Patrick is now 20 and 37, and he's 14 and 35 against the rest of the Big East. He's now six and two against the Johnnies. 
So for a team, that's one of the accomplishments of the season would probably be to not finish the predicted last place. This is probably one of the games you kind of need to sweep them. And he's done a good job of doing it. He's done that two out of his four years here. Did you guys have this as a loss? Does, does anything change for you? I know it's silly to ask after every game, but I think I'm going to. I mean, I think every game you expect a loss this year. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. Like, I'm not even saying that. Uh, okay. Tongue-in-cheek. Tongue like, I, I, like, I mean, sure, the home game against St. John's, you know, I mean, but we really didn't know what to expect. Um, right. You know, we, we obviously we looked good against Villanova for stretches. We looked good against West Virginia. We looked good against St. John's in the first game. But I, I don't know what to expect from any of these teams. DePaul has – I don't think DePaul has played a single game yet. Literally, I think DePaul's zero and zero. So it's it's tough to have any idea how we're going to play against these teams. But looking at Villanova, Creighton, Providence, Seton Hall, Marquette, these teams are pretty good, even if not necessarily nationally. I mean, these are going to be very difficult teams for us to beat. I still think, look, the you know obviously the the drop off for Dante Harris is unfortunate. It's just a few too many turnovers, some bad decisions. I think the, I think the trouble this team has is. We have four players in Pickett, Blair, Berger, and Carey who are best as just set shooters. Someone someone getting them the ball and they can hit from the outside. It's it's very difficult for Pickett to put the ball on the floor. Blair has his moments, has has the teardrop, but you know, it's tough when he's the conductor from the top of the key. And and Carey, I think, had his best game of the season. But again, I, I, he is not so much a creator, but he does have a good sense of game awareness. For me, the the thing that was incredibly frustrating from the outset was Pickett and Belay just don't seem to know what to do with the ball. They're better when someone hands them the ball in an advantageous spot. And I, I was frustrated that too often the ball would be in the hands of Pickett or Belay at the top of a key, and you knew a bad shot was about to get thrown up. Yeah, for me, it it didn't change a whole lot. You still just want to see growth from the younger guys and have them get their chance. But I, for me, it just goes back to the defense. I mean, when you go on the road in the Big East, and tonight they still came away with, what, 1.08 points per possession, which is pretty good. You make 10 to 26 threes. You tell me that going into a game, I'm going to like their chances a lot more than what the final result was, where you really weren't competitive for most of the second half. And it's just it just seems like breakdown after breakdown. I mean, Wahab tried his best to clean up things on the back end, but that got him fouled out tonight. And even his one-on-one defense, he struggles with. So it's I mean, just to circle back to the coaching part of it, I was one of the people that looked at Ovan in year seven as being two guys who kind of held the defense back. And I thought you get Wahab in there, uh, you might change the scheme around, and things will look better on that end. And it's been far from that. You know, the first three years he's doing there, he's been. 9 out of 10, 9 out of 10, and then last year, 10 out of 10 in defensive rating. And it's looking like it's going to shape up to be in that ballpark again, maybe 11th this year. And it's until that gets fixed, it's it's hard to be overly optimistic. Yeah, and I think that's why I keep asking the question, hoping to get the answer, I guess, that I want to hear in that we're trying to run them off the three-point line. We just weren't successful at it because, like you said, Jesse's gone. Omir has gone between between obviously Wahab, who's a more skilled offensive player 
and Ego FA. And now we're seeing Wilson. I think he had a goaltender. Maybe it was a block after the foul was called. But you do have some guys in there that are going to make life difficult in the paint if you're making a conscious effort to maybe try and get them in there or at least at least not take threes. I mean, at the end of the game, you know, I think I think Blair had some empty calorie points there at the end. He finishes with 25. It certainly didn't feel like that, particularly when it used to be 25 was such a big outing for a Georgetown player based on mm-hmm. the pace that they used to play for like 15 years. The three-point advantage was only nine points, which I guess is about what they lose by. But it did feel like there was just a barrage of three-pointers and the, the game was never never really in doubt in, in the second half. I don't know how much other Big East games you guys have had a chance to watch the last couple of days, or I guess the last time we spoke was a week ago. Seton Hall is up next on Wednesday. Now that, you know, Georgetown's played three games, but two of them are against the same team, so they're done with St. John's and until their annual matchup at the Big East tournament, assuming that that, that that happens this year. Who are the other teams you think are on that level that Georgetown can kind of get into into a fight on the court, not not literally, but you know, get into a game. Is is Seton Hall that kind of a matchup? I don't think so. I, I think maybe Butler and DePaul, but possibly UConn. But Ooh. I think Seton Hall is too disciplined on defense, and and Mamu is a handful. So I'm not expecting anything, you know, any. any surprise victory in the next in the next one out scene hall has been giving us problems for the last five years ever since the infamous game <laughs> the tyler adams game yeah, so, yeah. I, I, so anyway yeah to answer your question i'm not optimistic I, I think but but to your point about the the pace and speeding things up i just wonder if we're capable of playing a half court offense i mean we thrive on other teams mistakes and and sort of pushing the ball i just want to see us play more half court sets because it, it it really has it has always seemed that for the first three years plus seven games, it's just you know move it push push push, and, and that's it. We we play one pace, and and yet we're not even moving forward with a full court press. So it, it's. I, I would just love to see a little bit more out of the half court offense. Nolan, do you think that's that's just the NBA in Patrick? I don't think it's that because I I thought he ran his most interesting stuff the first year when it was Marcus and Jesse. It may be because just from at least in the in the backcourt they were more limited that year with I mean, Mulmore, Mulmore Dickerson. Blair, Dickerson, yeah, and Jagan. I mean maybe that was it that he had to be a little more. I don't even want to call it creative, but there were more sets you could see especially just working around Marcus. And I mean, maybe that just relates to Marcus, that he was a really talented player his junior year. But just, I mean, with the tempo thing too, when you're playing that many possessions and you turn it over as much as they have offensively and then defensively, you don't generate any turnovers. I mean, right now they're 324th in turnover rate defensively. So, you know, the more possessions you play and the worse you are in the turnover battle on both ends, you're, I mean, those possessions add up. I just, playing in the half court with this year's team, it's, when they are in the half court, it just seems like they dump it into a big guy or Jamarco in the post and play off of that or try to. You know, I would always do those film room series, and there was a lot of work with that first year. And since then, it's, I don't know what has happened really. Uh, Maybe I'm just not paying close enough attention, but the creativity in the half court doesn't feel like it's there. 
so I think we were all in agreement after last game that we wanted the Harris split of minutes to be more about 50-50. Now, obviously, since last time we spoke, Patrick Ewing announced that Jalen Harris is on a leave of absence for a family issue. And without even, you know, obviously speculating, we all hope everything is okay with with Jalen and his family. But from a basketball standpoint, this is going to be a pretty tough rest of the season, depending on how long he's out. If you're Dante played 43 minutes in an overtime game, everything was great. He got Big East freshman of the week. A week later, he plays 33 minutes, and it's hard to imagine him playing any less than that. That's a lot to ask for a guy that played at such a low level of high school last year. I think he was at like a brand new high school. And I know I talked to a Tennessee preps guy that, you know, they were really off the radar. It hasn't seemed to have affected his play. He's, you know, he's obviously a very good player, but man, what a jump in what we were thinking is probably play about 20 minutes. That'll be a good thing for next year. You know, what do you think it'll do to him? Good, bad, neutral. If the, if indefinitely he's going about 35 minutes a game. So for Dante. Yeah. I I mean, I don't have, I agree. Ideally, he'll be in a platoon with, with Jalen. We need ball handlers yeah. on the court and they're clearly right. are the uh, Jalen and Dante are our two best ball handlers. And especially to the point I made before, when we've got four guys who are at their best on offense as set shooters, we need distributors. And so we need both of those guys to play. And it's unfortunate where with, with Dante sort of getting gassed and as teams figure out what he can do, defenses will start defending him better as St. John's did today. That said, I don't have a problem with Dante averaging instead of 20 minutes a game, 30 minutes a game. I think this will hopefully pay off in the long run. He'll get, you know, getting a lot more run this season, but you know, ideally you'll have a balance between Dante and Jalen and they can complement each other. Personally. I mean, just because I've been a big fan of his, I love it. I've, <laughs> I have no problem with it. For me, what it does is it should open the door for Berger who was going from either not playing at all or just getting four or five spot minutes. But now you have a reason to play him eight, 10, 12 minutes a game, which I think is helpful for his development. So we'll see what happens with Jalen. I mean, I think the thing nobody wants to talk about is you might get an answer about what his future is come six o'clock tomorrow, but we'll see. Um. (laughs) I I wanted to do one more thing about Harris before we end on that. I think one of the big things that if Harris does consistently, it'll be a positive for Georgetown. And this is not me being some sort of genius, but you know, he went to the nine, he, he went to the line nine times last game tonight. He didn't get there. And for a team, that Blair, he got fouled on a bunch of. I was, I thought they were very, very uh, nice calls for him on some of his floaters and stuff like that. But generally, Georgetown doesn't get to the line a whole lot. They actually matched St. John's today. They both went 26 times. But I think one of the biggest things Dante can do going forward is get to the line, you know, for himself, not not just becoming a jump shooter, and then obviously, you know, being able to get down there, maybe get other guys to the line. But I think, you know, him not attempting a free throw was probably not great. You brought up the point. I think it's not necessarily the elephant in the room. There is a big recruit that is apparently going to – is it is it on Monday or Tuesday? Tomorrow. Yeah. Monday. Aminu Muhammad. Am I saying it right? Yep. I think so. Can't, so. You can't spell Aminu Muhammad without Mando. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. So this would obviously, you know, if Georgetown were to get him, it'd be the, their, you know, their first five star. Um, I haven't been paying a lot of attention to it because I've just gotten caught up in recruiting so many times only to be completely crushed. 
but is he do we think he is like let's say he commits to a school say it's georgetown is he still in the he might come in second semester and play right away or is that is it is it all about next year for him so i've been following this a little bit too closely but that's okay i'm glad his his guardian has said all along that if 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 his high school season is not canceled then he intends to finish the season and and join the class of 2021 and and right now the season is still on they're playing games okay played in in the last few days so that's a good sign if we want him to start next season at the same time, I mean, we've seen some schools who are also interested in, in Aminu free up from scholar, free up scholarships in the last couple of weeks. Georgia, for example, Gosh. had a scholarship miraculously open up in the last couple of weeks. And so if he does want to start in January, then that possibility exists with at least one or two other schools that he's considering. Would you guys even want someone of his caliber to show up this season and possibly leave after that for the NBA or for without knowing everything about this kid, I think whether it's Georgetown or somewhere else, well, I guess if it's a different type of team, that's in a better position than Georgetown. But I would think from a Georgetown angle, you'd much rather have him coming in next year and having like your best recruiting class and who knows how long. Yeah. I, I would much rather have him just come in next fall. Um, hopefully get counter league and be on campus for the summer. I don't, I mean, obviously from perception standpoint for Georgetown to land a top 20 kid have him enroll mid-season it would be nice but if he just plays in 15 games when he's off to the NBA what is that I mean it might give you a little juice on the recruiting trail to go get another kid like that but I don't I don't see it doing a whole lot so I would like him just to if you can get him great put him in that class and you're gonna have the best class you've had in years for sure do we all agree that while a five-star or even next year's class doesn't fix everything if there aren't some things straightened out defensively, but just for Georgetown to build off the class they've already signed and to bring in the biggest recruit in the Ewing era, I'm not coming up with the greatest insight of all time, but just how big for the program that's just starved for something positive like this, how big would this be for not just for that class, but just going forward to say, look, we brought a guy like this in. And he'd be the biggest recruit since Greg Monroe. I think it's that. I think it's that simple. You weren't so, you weren't caught up in Copeland Mania. I mean, I was, I was. I I appreciated the timing of the announcement since it yeah. since it was, I guess, right after March ninth, uh, twenty thirteen, our big win against Syracuse to close out the rivalry, and he committed the very next day because he was at that game. So I appreciated that, but. I, look, no, I, I think he he would be the biggest the biggest recruit since Greg Monroe, and I've I haven't I haven't really really considered the idea that he would enroll and play for a few months and then go pro. I think for me it's always been he'll enroll at the start of the 2021 season, or if he if we have a, a freed up scholarship somehow he would you know he would play um, next semester and then and then also class of 2021 or you know and also next season uh, along with our other guys coming in but you know I guess obviously it's a possibility that he could just play for a few months and then and then take the leap I think no matter what it is unequivocally 100% it would be phenomenal to get him I think we just need players of his caliber and see and see what that means for the overall product because it would be nice to, to sort of evaluate Ewing Ewing's tenure his coaching ability all of that with 
the types of players that we know he wants in the system. And I felt like we got off to such a great start last year before the season imploded. And it would be nice to see what can happen with a new class. Saved by the Bell, the new class. You know, I mean, considering just to say, yeah, I mean, from where they were last or this last past spring, if you end up with him, you held on to Tyler Beard, you added Jordan Riley and Matumbo, and then even throwing Jalen Billingsley. Billingsley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's for where they were, that would be a total home run class for sure. I spoke with DSR last week, and I didn't realize, maybe you guys did, that Steven Domingo is in the G League with Orlando's affiliate, and he's jacked up. He looks like a bodybuilder. I do get a little nervous anytime a player decides to kind of come in early. I know Hollis showed up but didn't play. Yeah. I think he was in a semester early and looking at the way that went since he left, technically he had one more year of eligibility and he left anyway. It's kind of a mixed bag. I do have the, I'm not saying there's anything similar between Muhammad and Domingo, but I know it's just hard to get that out of my mind. And it was just brought up that he's still playing ball. So good for Steven Domingo. Do either of you guys want to make a prediction on where he ends up? He's going to Georgia. No I mean, as much as it pains, as much as it pains me to say that, I mean, Tom Crean is in his ear saying that he coached Dwayne Wade and Victor Oladipo and Anthony Edwards, and Amin but he's Muhammad Tom Crean. Has, <laughs> he is he is Tom Crean, and Amina Muhammad has never visited Georgia's campus. But I, I, I don't, I, I hate it, but it, it is what it is. I'll just say, and I don't want to get you in trouble, Bobby, on here, but <laughs> I, um. I'm going to say Georgetown just because I am very suspicious of what happened in the last week. So I'll leave it at that. If we could close out, I was at Washington, Seattle today, and I know we have a Jets fan on the phone. Are you serious? (laughs) Did did they just do that? This this has not been a good sports weekend for me. (laughs) I don't, I don't understand a lot of what took place in that game. And, I'm really happy for Frank Gore is a thought that never crossed my mind. Uh, I don't understand like so, so many questions about what just happened and I don't even, I don't certainly about the Rams, but it's just remarkable to me that the Jets waited until the very end of the season to do the most predictably Jetsian thing that they've ever done. If you look at the spread, by the way, which was I think 17 and a half points. Yeah. This was the biggest Jets upset since they won Super Bowl three over 50 years ago. It's just, it's just terrible. But at least Georgetown followed that up with a, a bad performance. Well, I watched a lot of Trevor Lawrence yesterday because the team that I follow in college football played them. And he's really good. So he he's really good. Obviously, it's college, you know. But, I, I mean, you don't get a lot of guys like him. I mean, who's the face of college football next year? Right, like he's been the face for a couple of years now since he came in, and Clemson already had a good quarterback at the time, and it's like, well, this guy's better. So if you're Jets, you got to get this guy, and if he's a bust, you know what? Who cares? Because everyone thinks he's like going to be a franchise guy. I just couldn't believe it, and apparently, I guess the Jaguars have the the tiebreaker. So if they both finish yeah, one fifteen, let, let me say something on that. By the way, like. So that you're right. The Jaguars have the tiebreaker due to strength of schedule. And so if the Jets and the Jags both finish one in 15, the Jags get the number one pick because they had the easier schedule. And 
fine. I might flip a coin at that point. I think but, you flip a coin. But but one thing that people need to keep in mind, if we're really going to go to strength of schedule, we should consider some other factors like the Jags have consistently had a home field advantage because fans have been at their games. <laughs> so they've been losing games even though fans are actually there. The Jets haven't had any fans all season. So I'm just going to throw just... it out there. I just can't believe that that just happened. I mean, if I were a Jets fan, and I mean, God bless you. Um, wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to end like that. But I just, since I know that you're part of this, I just I just had to ask what it's like. Because that just seems, I mean, that just seems like you just get rid of everyone. I mean, I get that the players that were in the game don't care about that. Because half of them won't be there. They're fighting for their jobs. But that's where you come, like coaching comes in, right? And you play certain guys. You do, you do certain things. Um, well, it's not like at Adam Gates, the coaching staff has no incentive to throw the season because the coaching sure. staff will be gone at the end of the year. Yeah. But if you want to know what it's like to be a fan of the New York football jets in the last <laughs> five years, it is exactly <laughs> like the way it feels to be a fan of Georgetown basketball or to be a fan of Arsenal football club. Oh yeah. You like them as well. I'm rooting for relegation. I want to see what happens. I love yeah, Arsenal. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Closer to relegation than top eight at this point. Kroenke might sell. I would take Kroenke selling for going and spending a year in the championship, and I'm trying to go through ESPN Plus to find their games and, you know, games at Nottingham Forest and Blackpool or whoever the hell's down there right now. <sighs> Nolan, do you have a player? <laughs> I've got a question for you, Bobby. The football team you do follow, do you even want to go through with this again? The Irish? Yeah. No, I I wish they were playing like Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl or something, like a team that they could, you know, compete with. I I get why they were chosen. And the team, I I assume A&M finished fifth. Notre Dame has a better win than them. You know, they lost by 30 to Alabama. But no, as someone that enjoys watching Notre Dame football, if you told me they could end the season 10-0, I would have taken it. Because I kind of knew what was going to happen yesterday. And I definitely know what's going to happen in two weeks. I, I don't really get a lot of value out of that. They kind of are who they are. There's like two teams that can do that to them, and they're going to play them back-to-back. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really fault them for – I mean, people say they're frauds, but – I mean, who else are you going to put there? I mean, look what they just did yeah. to UNC, and look what UNC did to my – you know what I mean? Like, they're not bad, mm-hmm. but, like, there's probably every year there's three teams that can do that to them, and I don't think Ohio State could do it this year. So I think there's only yeah. two but they're playing them two weeks in a row and everyone's going to, you know, even recently we saw them play Georgia, two good games. There's only two teams that can do that to them. And if you told me right now, Brian Kelly was going to go coach the Jets next year, I probably wouldn't cry about it, but he has them in a much better spot than they've been since Holtz left. So it'd kind of be like, a. am not going to get into that, but (laughs) when you, when you get upset or coaches for certain levels that they can Mm. get you to, it's important to remember that can get worse. Yeah. And I think this is not always green. <laughs> I think that this podcast covers that in not so direct <laughs> ways often. Okay, yeah, that is another episode of Kente Corner. You can find us. Please subscribe and rate. We like to get more feedback out there. I've had some people message me what we need to talk about, and we're going to get to it. Just not on a post game pod. NY Hoya and Nationwide Nolan, I appreciate you guys coming on so much. I know that we're hitting the holidays, so I'm not totally sure of our post-game schedule going forward, but it's been great talking to you guys until Seton Hall. Shout out to my guy, Sean Harmon. Make the right decision, Aminu. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. I'll see you. Good night, guys. Bye.